us down to the last comic shop in five, four, three, two, one. On today's episode, we will show you fear in a handful of dust. There's actually T.S. Eliot, but, you know, Neil Gaiman. <laughs> the cat's guy. <laughs> it was so epic for a few seconds. and then you <laughs> It's just that's the way we work, you know. Hey, it's the last comic shop. I love it. I love it. We are opening up the shop to newbies and Neil Gaiman fans to help them find their way underneath this comic book tent. That's yeah. right. And keep it open for the oldies and the moldies who remember the Sandman, which was the biggest thing. From the 80s into the early to mid 90s, as far as grown up comic bookery. Yes. Mm-hmm. I couldn't walk around my dorm in the, the late 90s mm-hmm. without running into like six people that were just throwing copies of Sandman at my head saying, Have you read this? I thought you liked comics. This and comic I'm like, is... I do, but this does not have as much boobies or spandex. And that's. It's usually my tastes. <laughs> you know, it does have a surprisingly large amount of, of breasts in it, though. It does. Like, like it does. Spandex. Well, Actually, it's, this this volume has spandex in it. You, it, you know. it very, very Yeah, this true. is the one. I am the host of The Most, Annie Larson, and I'm joined by Chad Smith, J.A. Scott, and the wonderful Mikey Wood for this episode, which we promised. To our good friend Mikey Wood. Yes, if you just go back a couple weeks and you listen to our year-end review, I said to Mikey, hey... Instead of paying you, what if we gave you a book that you like once in a while? <laughs> right. And so you you wanted to read Sandman. You got to be specific because there's been a lot of different versions of collections of this. But this is the trade paperback volume one known as Preludes and Nocturnes. Mm. And that includes the first eight issues of the yes. original comic book series. Yes. I think it's been a book that we've wanted to cover on the last comic shop for some time. So it was definitely killing two birds and one stone for the host with the most uh, in terms of getting some content, which hopefully will bring listeners into that comic book tent. Uh, a major reason why it's been bringing some listeners in, not only because it's so world famous, is because it's had some really great adaptations in the last couple of years, right? I mean, there is what, a Netflix show, and before that, there were these awesome radio shows that Neil Gaiman was involved with, and all of that stuff I have on my Netflix, in my uh, watch list, on my iPhone collection of all the radio shows, and I haven't listened to any of it. I haven't listened to any of it. I'm a terrible comic book fan. I really am. And it's, it made me start thinking about all of the comic book-related materials that are out there nowadays, whether it's comic book movies or TV shows or what have you, that have been on all the streaming services, and the ones that my co-hosts and friends have not checked out for themselves so we're gonna go ahead and start off with chad uh because i feel like he is similar to me and probably has a laundry list of things where he was like oh yeah i want that i'm gonna i'm gonna watch that and then he never gets around to it so chad what was the show that you wanted to watch it was comic book related but then ended up not pulling the trigger on for whatever reason oh my goodness so yeah this is this is where chad the dad comes in where uh, I'm pretty good at reading comic books, but I am terrible since having children. Lo, these 12 years hence, 
with watching shows. So my list is huge. I still haven't seen the Flash shows. I love uh, Tom from Mike and Tom Eat Snacks. He's in the Flash show. Never seen an episode. Uh, there are others where I'll start, like Scott Pilgrim. I love Scott Pilgrim. I watched the first three episodes one night. I'm like, this is great. And then I haven't gone back to it since. Or uh, <laughs> One Piece. I was watching One Piece with my kiddo, and we watched through like 30 episodes. And then, uh, no, that's a lie. I probably watched about 10 of those. He just kept going. And there's so many. <laughs> and I stopped with that one. But the, the biggest one that I regret not having gotten to yet, it's a, a secret shame. I've never finished the Daredevil uh, Netflix show, which Daredevil is one of my ride or die books. I, you know, I buy that every month. I have a huge Daredevil collection. I love all the various authors and artists that have worked on that book. And uh, I watched the first season. I remember seeing the hallway fight from Old Boy that everybody was all about. The toaster scene? I don't remember a toaster scene. <laughs> he throws a toaster at some guy's head. He comes out of the oh, room and he throws yeah, a toaster. Yeah. It's the best. One big long shot, but I never finished that show. I never made it to season two or season three or The Punisher. And I love Daredevil, but I just, I'm bad at TV. I, for whatever reason, with my kids, by the time I get my kids to bed, as soon as I sit down to watch TV, I just fall asleep. So, uh, J.A., you're up next. What's a show that you haven't got to watch yet, but you've been meaning to? Yeah, so this some of this is because it was hard to find. Uh, I think it was an FX show, and FX doesn't make it over to Asia. Uh, so you have to wait for it to show up on a streaming service that does make it to Asia. And that is Legion. I never watched the Legion show, which is, you know, you would think, oh, it's a show related to the X-Men. It's got mutants in it. It's got one of the crazy mutant characters in Legion himself. But I never watched it. And... One of my favorite shows, Parks and Rec, Aubrey Plaza is in uh, Legion. Oh, I love Aubrey Plaza. She is just so witty and deadpan <laughs> at mm. the same time. Oh, so th- now now you have to watch now it. Now I have, have to, to watch, watch it. it. Yeah, Aubrey Plaza's in it, and i got to watch it. <laughs> All right, Mikey, you're up next. Oh, there's a lot of things I haven't watched yet. Um, I haven't seen the Runaways TV show. I haven't seen oh, Cloak and Dagger. Um, I saw two episodes of Marvel's Doctor Who show Loki. Everybody seems to love it because everybody loves Loki, and it was really good what I saw of it, but never finished it. I'm just, I don't have a lot of time, you know? I'm not allowed to watch TV in my own house. I have to stay in the basement with my nerd stuff. (laughs) But but, uh, there's a bunch of those that that I understand are quite good that weren't around for a very long time that I have to kind of go back and and catch up on. Well, on the opposite tip, though, that you about you? Oh, I said Sandman. Okay. What but else? You still have to watch Miss Marvel, too. I yeah. do. I, I, you know what I think it was? It was the fact, for some bizarre reason, I skipped that. And then by that time, then the She-Hulk came out. And even though I really liked the She-Hulk, I didn't like all of the atmosphere and the environment that She-Hulk created. And so it was like, uh, am I not allowed to like MCU shows anymore? Am I not allowed to enjoy them? Because people are all curmudgeonly now so i just i never went back and watched the ms marvel i you're right though i really should but on the opposite tip i was going to ask before we get to commercial break what's one show that's comic book related that you don't feel like a lot of people have watched but you think is really really good and worth people's time Hmm. and we'll go ahead and start off with mikey mikey do you have a show out there that Um, you think a lot of people have watched but is Gosh, that's super good. 
Like specifically television shows, or can it be a movie? And does it, it could be a TV show or a movie that's kind well, of related that you think is really good? There are a couple of things that I think people should see because they're bonkers, and I don't know if they're good, but I like them. <laughs> okay. Um, there was a, I believe it was an Italian or French-made adaptation of Mobius's Blueberry comic strips called Renegade here in the states. Um, and it's weird. It's a Western that involves peyote trips and ghosts. It was just weird. And it's, I don't think it's a very good adaptation of Blueberry because I don't remember Blueberry being that. And then there was a very, very short-lived television adaptation of Mike Grell's John Sable Freelance that if you can find it, bootleg or something, it's worth watching because I like it, but it's probably terrible. So, so there you are. There you have it. All right. J.A., do you have one? So I'm going to cheat a little bit because it, there is a comic book of this series, and it's not just an adaptation. It's actually original material. Uh, but the source is novels, and that is The Expanse by James S.A. Corey. Uh, they made six seasons of it for TV. You can find it on Amazon Prime, and it is some of the best hard science fiction this side of 2001. That's another show Jay has been meaning for me to watch for some time. I watched, I think, the first three episodes and fell off. In any case, Chad, do you have one? There's one show that I've been able to watch with my kid consistently, and both of us enjoyed it uh, you know, on the same level. And so it's currently available on Hulu for those that have Hulu subscriptions. Um, and this may or may not be cheating because it's animated, but it is the Tick Cartoon Show. My 12-year-old loved watching the animated Tick Show with me. There's so many great moments. Uh, the Mad Bomber, What Bombs at Midnight? Uh, <laughs> the Man-Eating Cow, the Tick with the straw. Like, Tick suck blood. Do you suck blood? And he pulls out the straw. <laughs> You want to find out? Oh, I love it. I wish the Patrick Warburton uh, series was streaming somewhere more readily. I, I know you can buy it, and there may be an episode or two on uh, on YouTube out there. That's also something that I love. And the Amazon Prime series, I watched the first few episodes with uh, Peter Serafinowitz. That was fun, but uh, that's another one I never finished. But uh, the animated one. We watched that through at least three times. Yeah. And what about you? Well, there there is a great one that you can get out there. It eventually, I think, hit the airwaves a little bit more broadly. It was re-edited into a Saturday morning cartoon show called Flash Gordon in the early 80s. But it was originally a movie done by Filmation called Flash Gordon, The Greatest Adventure of All. But it's, uh, it basically ties in all of Flash Gordon as, like, fighting in World War II, and then he takes off the airplane and lands on Mongo, and it's got all the sex and savagery, and you can find it on YouTube. And I still think it's probably the best adaptation of Flash Gordon we have outside of the original strips. Um, although I will say this, that if you haven't had an opportunity to read the new daily strip of Flash Gordon done by Dan Gotti... It's over at this uh, fantastic website called um, Comics Kingdom, and it has been just an absolute treasure every single day since it started a couple months ago. I I read it religiously. I love the fact that it's in strip form, and uh, heck, 
we would love, Dan, for you to come on The Last Comic Shop and talk to us about this strip because I think you're doing an awesome job. But yeah, that's what I would say. And speaking of awesome jobs, we've got an awesome job when it comes to comic books, and that is talking about Sandman. So stay tuned. LastComicShopPodcast.com is the destination for all things shop. Plan your week with upcoming show schedules, the latest books, recommendations, and chatter from the crew. Subscribe to the show on all major podcasting platforms from one convenient location. Show your support and browse the merch store. T-shirts, tanks, hoodies for the fam, coffee mugs, magnets, totes, and more. Check out exclusive content through the show's YouTube channel and follow the pod on Instagram, Blue Sky, Threads, and others. All this and so much more at www.lastcomicshoppodcast.com www.lastcomicshoppodcast.com Hey everybody, this is Nerd Bomber here, one of the co-hosts of the Online Warriors podcast. Our weekly podcast started as a way for three friends to keep in touch and discuss their passion for movies, gaming, technology, and entertainment. And since then, we've grown into a fantastic online community. Every Wednesday, we release a new episode discussing the latest nerdy news, and then we go hands-on with our weekly adventures and a fun trivia show. Sound interesting? Check us out on every podcast platform, including Spotify and Apple Podcasts, or hit us up at onlinewarriorspodcast.com. And we are back talking about a book that I think I may be the only one who hasn't read. Wow! When I was in college, people weren't handing out uh, copies of the Sandman for me to read. They were giving me albums from the 70s to listen on my record player. But whatever. <laughs> we're not here to talk about Led Zeppelin or Pink Floyd. We're here to talk about the Sandman and specifically the first paperback. So who did this, Chad? Well, let me tell you. This was written by Neil Gaiman with art by Sam Keith. Mike Dringenberg and Malcolm Jones III. You had Todd Klein on letters. Robbie Bush was the colorist. There was some recoloring in the edition we read by uh, Daniel Vazo, and it had those brilliant covers by Dave McKean. Okay, Andrew, in as little 10 cents as you can possibly do, <laughs> so we, we have plenty of time for Mikey to expand. Yes. Tell us what happened in these first eight issues of The Sandman. <laughs> This is super easy. You want a 10 cent synopsis? Here it is. The Sandman gets imprisoned for like a bazillion years. It's not that long. But for a long time, uh, he's, he's brought in by occultists or whatever into our world and he's held prisoner. And he eventually breaks out, but they've stolen three magical MacGuffins of his uh, a bag and a mask and a gem. And so he goes around, he meets people in the DC universe for a little while, getting these things. Uh, he eventually has this massive fight with this guy named Dr. Destiny, who has the gem, and uh, wins. He's a freaking god. He's <laughs> <laughs> talking about death! She comes in at the end! Because <laughs> you didn't really expand on who is the Sandman, and, and, and what does yeah. he do? What is the whole thing? That's Mikey's job. Mikey, well, who is the Sandman? Well... So the Sandman, or Dream, or Morpheus, Morpheus is his name, Dream is his position, the Sandman is what the comic is called. He's one of the endless, and they're not exactly gods, but they are manifestations of things. They've existed before humanity and before Earth, and they will exist after. You don't really meet 
all of them in this eight issues you you just meet two of them but they're mentioned you know it's like dream and death and desire and delirium and destiny and uh later on in the series you meet destruction who's estranged from the family and there's this big big uh, large tapestry but morpheus is dream he is the the current manifestation of dream has he always been the manifestation of dream we don't know will he always be the manifestation of dream no but you have to read the entire series, and we and, and this is only about the first eight issues. But real quickly, Mikey, there are actually a lot of other Sandmans in comics, right? Like, everyone was throwing this Sandman at my head. When yeah. I was in college, I was reading Sandman Mystery Theater, which has Wesley Dodd, who, is, yes. who I think is the Sandman. So explain that. There's also a Jack Kirby one. Like, all, yeah. how is all this stuff related? Yeah. One of the wonderful things about this series is the way that Gaiman takes all of this sort of past history of DC, primarily DC horror books, because let's, let's be really straight here with these first eight issues. It is a straight-up horror comic the first four are very ec kind of vibe and then he gets uh dr destiny gets to the diner and it is a nightmare it's meant to be that it's meant to have that sort of classic dc horror like he has kane and abel kane was the host of house of mystery and abel was the host of house of secrets and then he's got Cynthia Mildred and Mordred, who are the hosts of Witching Hour, who represent the Maiden, the Mother, and the Crone. He brings in Lucian. He only appeared in a couple of issues, uh, but but Lucian was like, these are all the horror hosts, like the Crypt Keepers, but DC's version of them. The Golden Age Sandman, who's Wesley Dodds, who does appear in the, in this book came out prior to Sandman Mystery Theater, but Wesley Dodds is mentioned in there, and Morpheus's imprisonment is actually part of wesley dodds's origin now it's wrapped up into there and then there's hector hall sandman which was the kirby yellow and red caped sandman who had brute and glob who are mentioned in this and and and, and he comes in later on so so it weaves all of that pre-vertigo there was no vertigo at this time Subprint and header didn't come out for a couple of years um, so it was still tied into the DC universe, technically. And we see the Justice League in this. You know, he, he appears in Mr. Miracle, who's used in a really great way and a really, really funny thing with, with Martian Manhunter. And you see what Dream looks like to Martian Manhunter. And it just, the issue where he spends the day with his sister, his older sister, Death, that's where it sort of changes. You could feel the change in the vibe of the book as of that point. It still stays dark and it still has horrific stuff all throughout it, but there's a bit of a change in him as a character. And, and you know, because in the beginning he is vengeful and angry, and then he's just kind of miserable. <laughs> you know, throughout the, throughout the and it was just like I had never seen Sam Keith's artwork before, I'd never seen anything like it before. And I was intrigued by Dave McKean's artwork and his covers for that. I got to see the original cover for issue one. And it's like three feet tall and two feet wide because there was no Photoshop at the time. It's hand-painted. There are actual items on shelves. It's a gigantic wooden box with things in it. It's amazing. But it just cha it changed my life. And every time I read it, it has that same story. Even though it's very familiar, it still scares me. I still worry about all those people in the diner. As what it, there, there's a reason the book is so famous. It's it, like the hype for this is absolutely real and deserved. I mean, it's the first 
comic that ever won what a nebula or something i can't remember it's some won some award and there's a big hubbub about it because it was a comic and you know the literary people were like that's not people who never read comics jumped on to to sandman and i could go on forever so somebody has to stop me or else i will never shut up <laughs> there you go well that's so much of sandman for me was the aura around sandman growing up as a, a kid this obviously wasn't aimed at me and so by the time I made it to college, this was the book that was the comic for intellectuals. There's even that pull quote on the, the back of the first mm-hmm. graphic novel from uh, Norman Mailer there. And it was the comic that girls read. And it was the comic that was the hipster dipster. Oh, you want real comics. You should read Sandman. And so it always had like, oh, I should think this is impressive. And I, I have to admit, whenever I read it the first time, I was like, okay. And it it didn't really impact me as much as maybe now with some distance. The the horror elements were a little off-putting for me. I'm still not a horror guy, but I don't know. What did you guys think? J.A., like, this is the first time you've read it. You are a Sandman virgin. You're coming in. You've never read this before. And 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 I've not watched the Netflix show either, but... My initial reactions was much similar to to Chad's. I was like, okay, I know I'm supposed to like this because I consider myself, you know, well read and and a bit of an intellectual. I don't know. Um, that's probably <laughs> a little bit too high minded. But um, it took a while to get into, partially because I also not a huge horror fan. But there were those moments that you could see, oh, wow, that's really nice, or that scene. I loved uh, all the stuff with John Constantine. Uh, The fact that the guy likes Silver Surfer comics now makes me (laughs) think that I need to go read John Constantine more. Um, Sort of the stuff that was happening when he's trying to figure out these MacGuffins, and he sees the three witches, and and all of this stuff, a lot of it's Shakespearean. We're drawing from Mm -hmm. that well but it wasn't till after sort of the first arc when he gets all this stuff back and he's like moping around like a quintessential Gen Xer and his sister comes and says, you know, knock it off. Stop being such a self-centered jerk Yeah, that I really is like, wow, this I can see now why this is considered such a good run. And I would bet and mikey i'm sure will will say that this is just the setup and you have to get through this and then the next trade paperback which is i assume uh, nine through 16 or nine through 20 or whatever that's where that's like the essence of the salmon you read those two then you can go watch the netflix show yeah the netflix show encompasses that so all the way to the end of the doll's house and and my favorite storyline is called seasons of mists And it is the story of the very unique way that Lucifer does sort of get his, not quite revenge, but he puts uh, Dream in a very awful position. It's a very awful responsibility, and it's really, really fantastic. My favorite scene in, in in the comic is that battle with the demon that Morpheus has in hell to get his helmet back. Because you think... Oh, because you've read comics your whole life. Okay, he's going to go to hell and have a magical battle of some sort with the demon, and it's going to be awesome. And and but he doesn't. He has a conversation battle with the demon, and it's ingenious. And and they change it a little bit in in the uh, TV adaptation, but they it makes more sense as to why they did. Still good. But then you know you meet Death, and you find out that the character that you think 
traditionally death is the grim reaper who shows up and is is emotionless and dark and takes you away and and whatever in this case she is uh this beautiful soul who is kinder than anybody else in the entire book and more understanding of humanity than anything and 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 kind of shows morpheus you know the joy that there is in the world it's just neil gaiman now is neil gaiman right you know american gods and all those but back then he was just some guy who was writing this book a couple things that just mikey pointed out like first and foremost i mean for no other reason you should read this because neil gaiman is an excellent writer i mean that that's that's clear you know there's a lot of talk sometimes around comic book circles about who's better whether it's neil gaiman or alan moore um i know that one of the series that we did last year was miracle man And that has the wonderful accolade of being written by both of these tremendous writers. And and you can see it. You can see it in some of the issues. You can see it in the the John Constantine issue, which, again, should be just kind of a MacGuffin chase. But, like, the way that he weaves in uh, John Constantine's past love and and makes it uh, just tragic. But also at the same time, horrific. Like, that's the thing. Like, people keep on bringing up this whole thing about that, like, this was a horror comic. Like, there are issues that are downright terrifying. Like, issue six really stands out as one of the, like, over most over-the-top ew moments. That's, um, is that the diner? Yes, that's, the, yes diner, the diner. Where yeah. basically the sadistic, awful character of Dr. Destiny has control over seven people like flies in a jar and just basically tortures them just because he wants to. That issue has a flip side to that in issue seven, where at the end, you know, dream has an opportunity. He defeats Dr. Destiny, gets his stuff back and says, no, I'm not going to punish you because that's not, that's not what like I'm beyond kind of things like that. That's like, you're just going to go back to where you belong and, and that would be punishment enough, I guess. Like I'm, I'm not some wrathful, vengeful god or whatever. I'm, I'm, I'm beyond what you think. You know, that's why you should have never had these these things to begin with, because you just don't understand or comprehend what's what's happening here. So, like Neil Gaiman does really get to the cut, cut to the core about like why gods are gods. Like whether you read this or Norse mythology or American gods or whatever, he has a good way of tapping into like things that are just again, they're beyond your comprehension as a person. But like at the same time. Uh, he makes them relatable enough that you can grasp some of yeah. what he's saying. And, and like, plus, in fact, I will say this, that issue eight changes everything in the trajectory of the book, because just in my limited knowledge of Sandman, because I've only read a handful of issues, this is actually the first time I've read all eight of these issues back to back to back to back. Issue eight is great because you get a character that's better than Dream. The Sandman is not the best character in this series. One of the best characters in this series is Death. And you get to meet Death in issue yeah. eight. Death is a great character. Yeah. Yeah. And from what I know about the rest of the series, Death is actually much more of an interesting character, at least from my perspective. Death well, his whole and not only we met Franklin's gonna meet Death again too soon. Yeah. His his whole family is uh is really I phenomenal. Like we haven't really met Desire yet. We have Desire comes in and, and is so catty and so ugh, like she's she, they I should say are phenomenal. And like Doctor D in the in in the book was a was a classic Justice League villain called Doctor Destiny who used a stone to manipulate people. And it, it's really interesting how he weaves even that into the storyline. And he makes 
he makes this dream character who is a completely original character as of this first issue. Dream is an original character, but he makes it feel like he's always been there. You find out, too, that Morpheus is, a, is an incredibly flawed character who's made a lot of mistakes that he actually feels horrible for. You see briefly in this one, he had a lover named Nada in, in Africa. And he, you know, because she broke his heart, he's imprisoned her in hell for the rest of her life. You know, Etrigan's wrapped up into it. Like, it's just so... So for me, this was a unique experience because I read this, like I said, coming out of college, I was an English major. So I'm supposed to be a literary and, you know, uh, at least a faux intellectual. Um, and the nice part about the Sandman is it's 75 issues, which is substantial, but not insurmountable. And I read through it the first time and I, I treated it as though it was too precious. Right. And I recognize that now that, uh, you know, this is something that has flaws to it. It has elements that are, you know, a little bit dingier and a little bit. I, I don't know, but I, I read it more as homework the first time. Be like, oh, this is great. I have to figure out why this is great. And at the end of the day, that reading experience really didn't do it for me. So I've, I've had these books sitting on my shelf since 1999. And now that I'm a little bit older and a little bit more comfortable in the fact that I don't have to love Sandman, I like it more now. Mm-hmm. And that was something that, you know, it's taken me just as a human. To be like, now that I'm not forced to like it, I can enjoy it for what it is. Experience it again without that pressure. Like, people will tell you this is the best thing ever. It's not. And that's okay. Mm-hmm. And I, there are parts mm-hmm. of me that I'm like, I wonder if it would, would have been the same if Sam Keith had stuck it out. Because Sam Keith is one of those artists. He just has such a great visual style to him. But then you would miss out on the Pete Craig Russell's. You would miss out on the Chris Bocciolo. Yeah. Who comes yeah. along down the line? Uh, there's so many artists that take their their swings in Sandman. Yeah, there, there's a big run of J- Jill Thompson that's really nice too. But it is the greatest comic ever made, so that's the problem with that. Uh, no, it just depends on what it just depends on what you're in. No, I mean it depends on what you're into. But but it like a lot of books like Watchmen or like Dark Knight Returns or a lot of books that have a legendary status to it. There's a lot of pressure if you've never read them before. Like there are kids now who go and they read Watchmen and they're like, I don't get it. I've seen this a thousand times. It's like, yeah, but you didn't in 1986. That's the problem with coming to something after so much other stuff has become derivative or, or after it's, you know, there is a lot of pressure to, to, I'm supposed to love this. And if you could come out and just say, at least you've experienced something, you know, not everything is going to land for everybody. Um, right. There's still ongoing Sandman led to the dreaming, which also led to like, you know, books of magic and, and there's Thessaly later on. She's got her own mini series here or there. It's got, you know, death, the high cost of living and, and death, the time of your life, the death mini series that are beautiful and wonderful. You know, yeah, the Sandman's proper book ran 76, well, 75 issues in one special technically. And then there have been a couple of little editions like Sandman Overture, which is one of the most beautiful comics I've ever read in my life. It just and Vertigo was kind of created around this, and that that window between '86 and 1990 was such a big time for me as a reader because it really influenced my tastes moving forward. Um, and Sandman is is responsible for that. And it, but I actually got a chance to say that to Neil Gaiman a couple of times at book signing, and he's always so gracious and so awesome. And um, I told him once that I was having trouble 
I'd wake up without having dreams and I hadn't had a dream since I was like 19 years old. And he was like, that's terrible. And he signed a book and it says to Michael dream a little and named Neil Gaiman. And I swear to God, I had a dream that night. I swear. <laughs> to God. And he swears that he met death prior to actually writing her in a book. He swears that he met her somewhere, you know, was her name, Helen and bottom Carter. No, well, she's, <laughs> she was based on somebody who was kind of popular in the London sort of club scene. Visually, she was based on for me. Was it Constantine Sting and was uh, Lucifer David Bowie? Yeah, Dringenberg used David Bowie as Lucifer, yeah, because he had that whole sort of androgynous kind of vibe to it. Um, And Quick Google says Cinnamon Hadley was the inspiration. Cinnamon Hadley, yes. Yes. Yeah, who passed away in 2018 from colon cancer. Uh, In any case, yeah, so we had a lot to talk about with Sammy, and we got even more coming up right after these commercial breaks because we've got our rating. Don't be a pretentious ass and just give it a four just because everybody else did. Mm -hmm. We'll see if we do. Stay tuned. Being a PI, you learn fast what seems like a normal case never is. You never realize how much you're going to need your friends. You can never guess how near your enemies are. And you never know who to trust. Now I'm chasing down an ancient artifact. The only thing that can stop this newly unearthed terror It sounds crazy, but I'm not thinking how nuts it all is. All I can think about is the only man who's ever managed to grab my heart is right at the heart of this mystery. And why? Every time my heart gets involved in anything, there's always a monster waiting in the shadows to break it. Ripped from the pages of the self-titled comic book comes Dash. A new queer supernatural noir podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Podcast Dash, on Instagram at Dash.noir, or wherever you get your podcasts. BCWsupplies.com has everything a comic collector could need boards, bags, long boxes, and so much else for our ever so increasing collections. And you can save 10% on your total order by using promo code LCSPOD at checkout. Not only does this take 10% off BCW Supplies already low prices, but it supports my favorite podcast, The Last Comic Shop. So get all your collecting gear at bcwsupplies.com and save 10% on your order with promo code LCSPOD at checkout. That's L-C-S-P-O-D at checkout. Happy hunting. All right, we're back with more Last Comic Shop. I hope that you have been dreaming about what's coming next. It is our ratings. That's right. Which for some folks might feel like that's an abomination that we're going to rate Sandman. But as Chad said, Sacred cows, people. Sacred cows. Look at things as they are, which is, hey, is this booker good or bad? Just because everybody else likes it doesn't mean you have to like it. And J.A., what's our one out of four scale for this? Well, you already mentioned it, and uh, I, I would be remiss to not use it, especially after hearing that wonderful story from Mikey Wood about meeting Neil Gaiman and having him sign a book for him. So it is one out of four dreams. So hopefully, Mikey, you're having dreams now. Yeah, sometimes. Because you're going to have to rate this. So at least you have three or four dreams, I'm sure. 
for this one. So, yeah, one out of four dreams. All right. And I'm going to go first. I'm not going to give this a four, uh, especially just based on the first eight issues. I think that that's fair. I mean, obviously, this series is something that I feel like all comic book readers out there should read. But you should come to it in its own time. Like Chad said, you shouldn't feel forced like it's some sort of Mount Rushmore book that if you don't read it, you're not a real comic book person. Again, my buddy J.A. Scott didn't read a lick of Sandman for like, I don't know, 40 years. He was just doing just fine. And I feel like he knows a lot about comic books. So it doesn't mean anything whether you've read this or not. Uh, personally, I'm just going to give it like probably like a 3.25, I think, honestly. It is interesting having Dream go on this quest. And he is really vengeful. Uh, but one thing I didn't like, and maybe this will be an unpopular opinion among everybody here, but I'm not a fan of Sam Keithart. Can I just say that? Like, I get where it's going. Like, it's abstract and, like, artistic and whatever. And, and it, I just don't like it. So I never really got around. And actually, I'm glad that Sam Keith drops off because I really do like the art that comes after Sam Keith is gone. I like those issues more, especially when we get to issue eight. Dringenberg and Malcolm Jones draw a wonderful death. Like, and if I haven't espoused, like, how much I love that particular issue, it is the best one in this collection. And I feel like, sure, you could probably read the first seven issues. Yeah, you probably should. But really, issue eight is just great. That is the reason to get the three, honestly, because it's really, really good. As one of my buddies that I like talking comic books with all the time, he loves Sandman because it makes him feel cozy. Unlike, say, Watchmen, which is, like, all in his face all the time, like, with all the horror and the intensity and all this other stuff, it's just in his face, constantly. Sandman is there, and there's some things you should be scared of, but Neil Gaiman, he makes everything very cozy. It's like mm -hmm. a nice book to curl up in front of a fire and, and read, and, and feel like you're a faux intellectual. Chad? So, yeah, I'm actually going to go a little lower. As I, uh, oh, you guys are killing me. Expose <laughs> myself as a little bit forward, but no, I I agree with a lot of the things you said, Andy. Except for the fact that I do like Sam Keithart. I think there is a grotesqueness to it. As I posited earlier, I don't know if I would have liked it as much had he continued throughout the rest of the series. the The whole book is set up to expose you to all sorts of things, but I don't think this is it until you get to that issue with death. I think that's the big turning point. Up until then, I feel like this is just a so-so horror book. And there are moments that are terrifying, and there are moments with Dr. D. And it reminded me of uh, Jessica Jones and the Purple Man, where like this just terrible force of nature is causing people to do all these terrible, horrific things. But I don't think this works with you know John Jones popping in and, and Mr. Miracle and... I just don't think the book has found itself yet. And so the best thing I could do, Mikey, is give this book a three because this isn't great. It's pretty good. Mm. You know, and I think as the series progresses, it might get there. And I'm much more excited to read the series now. You know, I, I'm grown up away enough to strip away the veneer of, oh, I have to like this because it's the Sandman. It's, you know, the intellectuals comic. It might get there, but it's not there yet. And so I, I appreciate these growing pains. So for volume one and volume one only, I'm sticking with my three. All right, J.A. I'm just going to rate based on issue eight, 
because I love that issue so much. Issues one through seven were great. It was a nice foundation. It was really gothically horror. You know, you had all these allusions to, to classic writing and, and whatnot. But issue eight was just great. And because of that alone, I'm giving it four dreams. Wow. Issue eight is where the series is going, which I assume it is, according to Mikey Wood. Yes. Then it's it's four. And I I'm sure that they've packaged the first eight with the second eight and you can get them in one book or whatnot. So I would say if you're just getting into it like I was, you ca- you can't just stop at the first eight issues. You've got to you've got to read to issue 16, which I haven't done yet. So I'm going to do that. But issue eight alone, I, I mean, just the the character design dialogue, the dialogue is so witty. We didn't talk about that. We talked about the writing and the plotting and the characters, but some of his dialogue is so great, you know? That whole the the kid keeps kicking the ball and they keep having to stop it and at one point death is like, oh, give me strength." And she's basically <laughs> saying, "I don't want to kill this guy now." Oh, and, then and, she goes, and he's like, "How do you know my name?" He's like, "Oh, I'll be seeing you soon." And the dichotomy in that scene with the baby, how 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 loving Oh, death yeah. is in that scene mm-hmm. and the yeah. baby even talks to her in full sentences like really that was it like i was i was here for yep yeah yeah that that's pretty much it you know, okay it's cool and then like the you know the real world reaction yeah. to what just happened oh brutal but just wonderful writing and and let me uh put this on the record here the j is frankencastling us <laughs> Yes, I am, Chad. Seven more issues! I do recall getting grief for giving Frankencastle a four because the really great parts were really great and the rest of it was, ah, just forget that. But uh, just want you to know, my fellow faux intellectual, we've been Frankencastled. All right, Mikey. Um, Save the best for last. So it's really hard to grade things that you've seen the end of it's hard to grade the beginning of something that you've seen the end of you know what i mean but i mean i'm going to give this a four just because of what it is and because of i'm trying to think about it from the point of view of me reading it the first time and what it did because i had not read horror books up and did other than like some ec reprints and things like that which is what sam keith stuff feels like to me Sam Keith's stuff had a very EC Comics vibe to it. Yeah, um, th- there's that history that you brought up that I definitely see reflected in those first couple issues. Yeah, yeah. And it, it, um, my thing is this when it comes to the first part of something, does it make you want to go further? Does it make you want to go into the second part of it? Like when you have big things that are collected in trade, like it's easy when you get a one and done trade paperback and you're like, that was awesome. And you could carry on with your life. But this goes on doesn't make you want to go on are you ready for the next step because sandman changes throughout the the the, the, some stories are sweet and loving and some stories are naughty and some stories are dark you know the but the overarching tale is is important by the end of the book he's paying the price for things that happened in the beginning of the book and it's you know so yeah i mean it's it's definitely a four for me and 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 that's my question to you guys is doesn't make you want to go further yeah, it, I, I'm definitely going to read further. I was just looking online at the various collected editions. I see there's an omnibus in three volumes that, ooh, that looks nice. So, uh, but it reminds me of reading the first saga 
trade paperback and then getting sucked in. And now I, every time one of those comes out, I'm, I'm, I'm reading it and I'm waiting for them to put out books four, five, and six. And that having, you know, a serious amount, but not insurmountable amount of issues covering this big epic story. I guess what we've come to find out is I just like epic stories. Well, there you go. Uh, am I going to read this more? I don't know. Honestly, just like TV shows, I, I, I'm going to put it in a repile. I'll be like, yeah, I'm going to read this. But honestly, like if I don't read it in the next week, I'm not going to do it because like I'll be like, oh, now I got to go back and read the first eight issues again. Uh, it happened to me a lot with other things, too. Did I read the rest of Sex Criminals after I liked Sex Criminals? No. Did I read the rest of uh, Giant Days after I liked the first two trades of Giant Days? No. But actually, I did read issue, Volume 3, but I didn't read the rest, and there were tons of them after that. Even Saga, I got up to five. Stopped. Now I have to go back and reread all of it. Not, I don't know. Chad? Yeah, so to, to answer Mikey's question, um, I can just show you that I knew we were doing the show, and for a little inside baseball here, this is our last show before we have a little bit of a break. And I pulled down for tonight's recording, not just volume one, but volumes two and three. And I know hey. where four through ten are. And so even though I gave it the lowest rating and was the most pretentious of the pretentious stinks on this podcast, yeah, no, I, I'm, I'm excited to not have to think that it's great. And to be like, yeah, there are parts I liked and parts I didn't like and things that I'll just have to accept and you know, see where it goes. But I, I'm definitely intrigued. It definitely did its job in terms of getting me excited about it. So take that three with a grain of salt. Uh, you know, I've got my other volumes ready. All right. Well, some other things that we've got ready are our recommendations. So yes, this is other comic books that you can pick up at your local comic book shop in addition to Sandman. Because trust me, any comic book shop out there has Sandman. You just walk in there and be like, hey, where's the Sandman? Guarantee they've got it. That's bread and butter books, baby. Yeah, talk um, about how our show we try to be evergreen. Sandman. Yeah trades are evergreen that's true that's true but here are some other books that you might want to pick up at the same time you're picking up sandman and we're going to start off with j.a scott so j.a what do you got for recommendations this week all right a couple things uh, i mentioned how this really you know kind of reminded me of that spark that saga produced they've got the newest trade out now trade 11 <laughs> hazel's now a teenager her younger stepbrother has just professed his love for her she's sort of dealing with the fact that now she's growing up without a dad her mom is always putting these father figures in front of her that kind of travel along for a while and then go away she's dealing with the loss of her dad she lost her home in the last trade so now everything that sort of grounded her is starting to go away and how she's shifting that and, and dealing with emotions that a teenager deals with so great ongoing story i highly recommend that you can find that anywhere in trades and then uh something that i haven't read but i did some quick research knowing that we we're reading sandman uh some books that are similar to sandman that you might want to pick up uh, maybe one of you has read this already promethea by alan moore got a lot yeah. of recommendations it's uh so, williams the third art it's beautiful yeah esoteric uh, spiritual quests and badass female superheroes. So uh, we always say that Neil Gaiman and Alan Moore are sort of two peas in the same pod. So uh, I would recommend that if you were looking for that. 
Okay. Yeah, yeah. That's Promethea is like, what if somebody who majored in mythology and ancient religions wrote Wonder Woman? It's very cool. Uh, Chad, what's uh, what's your recommendation this week? Okay, so I was originally going to go with the new Transformers, which is awesome. It's Daniel Warren Johnson, totally fits the flavor of Sandman. But no, I my real recommendation is going to be uh, Good Omens, which is a book by Neil Gaiman and Terry Pratchett. Probably one of my favorite, if not my favorite book I've ever read, which ironically, I did not realize that it was a parody takeoff of the movie The Omen until Andy made me watch it uh, a few years back, and then I couldn't sleep for weeks. <laughs> you did not like that movie. What, The Omen? The original, right? Yeah, the original, the Omen, movie. yeah. Uh, Gregory Peck, he hated that movie. Yeah, that boy stares at a dog, and it was the scariest thing I've ever seen. Gave me nightmares. <laughs> but it's funny, because for decades prior, I had read Good Omens, which is the story of, you know, what would happen if the son of Satan was actually not raised by the evil nuns, but there's a mix up. And so he's raised by a normal family. And so he uses all of his powers just as a normal kid. And, you know, he's running around playing and imagining things with his friends. And the Spanish inquisition is just him and his friends trying to ask people questions in Spanish. Donde esta la biblioteca and all that stuff. It's hilarious. And so it ties in because we're talking about shows that we didn't finish. Good Omens has a wonderful show on Amazon Prime. There's two seasons out there. I never got to the second season. I don't know if I finished the first, to be honest. And how does it relate to comic books? Well, Good Omens has a comic book. At least there was a Kickstarter for a comic book last year through the Terry Pratchett estate. um, And it is going to be drawn by Colleen Duran. And I did back that Kickstarter. I don't know when the book will get here. But when it does, I'm sure I'll talk about it or post about it or something. But yeah, the, 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 the novel itself, like I said, it's one of my favorites. It's, it's hilarious. It's kind. It's sweet. It has all sorts of religious overtones and just absurdity. And I, there's just so many wonderful parts. If you haven't read it, I recommend checking it out. And then hopefully you'll be just as excited as I am about Good Omens, the official and ineffable graphic novel that should get here sometime this year very cool yeah that's another one that i i I think i actually only watched like the three first three episodes of good omens and then again into the ether as i as i find other things that are going to take up my time which speaking of my recommendations this is something that again i i just randomly fell into and then again that's why i'm not reading more Sandman. I just find these comic books and I just end up reading them. And one of the ones that I've been reading recently is a series called Thorgle, which probably a lot of not a lot of people know about, but that's because it's a European comic book. Uh, it's debuted in 1977. It's written by Jean Van Ham uh, with wonderful art by Jagorsh Rosinski. It tells the story of basically a star child falls to earth and is adopted into a Viking village. Thorgal kid grows up. He finds out that he's actually the descendant of spacefaring humans that came back to earth or something. I don't worry about that. It's really just like your classic swords and sorcery Conan stuff. It was wildly popular in France. It was actually super popular in Poland. 
In fact, it is one of the comic books that is single-handedly responsible for people reading comics in the country of Poland. Super cool. But it's got adventure, it's got horror, it's got fantasy, it's got a love story between Thorgal and this um, woman named Aresia. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. They end up like meeting when they're kids and then they grow up together and then they get married and they have children and they're pulled apart and this other girl wants to have his kids and he becomes a pirate king for a while and he loses his memory and there's soap opera elements and it's just great stuff. So, like, if you are one of those folks that listen to The Last Comic Shop because sometimes we throw out weird books that you've never heard of, go pick up Thorgal. It's got, like, a bunch of volumes. It's very similar to, like, Valerian or the Metabarons or, or any of those awesome European comic books. Lucky Luke that we just did a couple weeks ago that you may not know about but are super cool. And so yeah. expand your mind. Dates back to 1977. Yeah, so that's that's a deep pull. If there it was, is. it is. It's got great art too, man. It's right up JA's alley, man. That stuff is beautiful to look at. Beautiful high fantasy stuff. Uh, Mikey, what's uh, what's your recommendation? You know, it would be really easy for me to say just keep reading Sandman and read Death the High Cost of Living and read Sandman Overture, which also is JG Jones and or uh, no, it's um JH Williams. JH Williams, excuse me. JG Jones is a different guy. But anyway. Uh, what I'm going to settle on, though, is Black Orchid, the three-issue miniseries that Gaiman did starting in 88, right before Sandman. And actually, like I think the th- I want to say the third issue came out as Sandman was coming out at the same time or something like that. Dave McKean does interiors, which he doesn't really do very often, but anything that has Neil Gaiman and Dave McKean attached to it, like punch or violent cases or any any of those things are really really worth checking out but but black orchid is interesting because it takes a it takes a lesser known dc character and um and does something really interesting with her and that that spun off into its own series a few years later but but it's really worth checking and i think there's like a deluxe edition but honestly it's three issues they're like prestige format so that little thicker square bound kind of version and and honestly you could find them in dollar boxes which is uh tragic but you can so awesome well one thing that we're hoping that you can find in dollar boxes is the last comic shop podcast i keep on stuffing them in there i go to random stores and i'm just like here here's the last comic shop podcast hopefully somebody will spend a dollar for it but you don't even have to do that you can get it for free just by rate reviewing and subscribing over at www.lastcomicshoppodcast.com terrific place where you can get all of our episodes we are in season four kids season four we've just finished up our first month so yeah we've still got uh, 52 minus five um, some some number still left i'm i'm really terrible at math but one person that's not terrible at math is jay scott because he runs our merch store jay what do we got over the merch store this week Uh, as always we have t-shirts we have tote bags we have coffee mugs uh this week special on our goth inspired gear (laughs) so if you want a last comic goth inspired t-shirt every color you want as long as it's black Oh. <laughs> See, that, was it weird that like I didn't like the fact they wore a black trench coat with like the flames at the bottom? I thought that I was that. Kind of- All the things you're saying are weird. It really is. <laughs> um, 
I don't understand. I don't understand. It looked like he was a professional wrestler from the from the nineties. Fine professional no. wrestling in the nineties. He's not wearing an overcoat that's got a graphic on it of the things. <laughs> it's an overcoat that actually has oh, flames. All right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Chad, what are, what do you got for us? The flaming overcoat. Anyway, uh, so while we remain the last comic shop podcast that we hope you need, we also don't want to be the last comic shop. So we encourage everybody to go out there and support your local shops. Go find those evergreen Sandman library books, starting with Preludes and Nocturnes, leading all the way through volume 10, and then uh, the overtures and the uh, death, the high cost of living, and all that other stuff. Don't forget to pick up our other recommendations this week. Things like Black Orchid, things like Thorgol, which you might have to special order because it's from France, or uh, Good Omens. Hopefully, that's out there. Or Saga. There's all the Saga. All that and more waits for you at your local comic shop. So uh, make sure you get out there and support those fine folks. They could use the business. Well, until next week, we hope that you come back to the last comic shop. Until then, I'm the host of the most, Andy Larson. I'm joined by Chad Smith, Jay Scott, and the wonderful Mikey Wood. And we hope that you stay safe. Stay warm. And remember that if the invisible man and the invisible woman had children, pretty sure they're nothing to look at. (laughs) They're not going away. No way, man. More weeks of this shit. Eat it. (laughs) How do you like that for faux intellectuals? The last comic shop podcast was a 2024 Black Angus production.